the Daring Dashwood Mercenary Company proudly presents Wasteland Active Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, friends beyond and between, welcome back, dear listeners, to Wasteland Active Radio. As always, I'm your gracious host, Crispy, reporting to you from the Midwest Theater of War with Major Walsh's Forward Operations Team, 19th Division. As always, we've got a great show for our dear listeners. Before we begin, though, I just want to say something to all of our dear listeners out there. I know things have been crazy and chaotic. And I'm sure there were times where all of us, including you, dear listeners, thought that everything had just about come to an end. It would have been easy to just turn the radio off and let it all go silent. But if you're listening to this, then I just want to say thank you. Thank you for sticking with us through the good times and the bad, the highs and the lows, from Station Hill to the 19th Division. Just thank you, dear listeners. Moving on. Zigzagging through the Midwest, more super mutants, and the snow is finally starting to stick. More on that in today's announcements. It's already snowing, so let's hope Bucket predicts some warmer weather in today's, uh, weather. Settlements in danger, moose men in the woods, and mudslides in the roads. More on that in today's local news. Johnny teaches us all how to work with the forbidden sour green applesauce. Plasma, in today's tech tips. Shoban teaches us how to set broken bones after merrily avoiding death. <laughs> in today's wasteland health. After a music break, Atlas stops into the mess tent to talk to the manager in today's On the Scene. Finally, I have Dana Dawson, owner and operator of the Dawson Family Caravan, in for a one-on-one interview in today's Open Table. Now, let's get on with the show! In today's announcements, the Daring Dashwood Mercenary Company, in their attempt to push closer to the Rocky Mountains, has been pushing continuously westward. Partially due to the weather, we have had to bounce back and forth between South Dakota and Nebraska. I know what you're thinking. Aren't South Dakota and Nebraska pretty much flat land? Well, you'd be right. However, that's exactly the problem. Thanks to the snow, we never quite know what's underfoot, and we've already had a scout break their leg by stepping into a partially buried car window. There are areas where it's just not feasible to move a large unit through. (laughs) Uh, uh, Because of that, our scouts have had to come up with a very zigzaggy path to follow. Thankfully, the path they've scouted out is also extremely stable, allowing our soldiers and Brahmin to get through all the partially frozen muck safely. Despite the snow, Dana Dawson's supply lines have kept the Dashwoods well supplied with everything we need to pave our way forward. Our next announcement. Super mutant activity in the South Dakota slash Nebraska region have increased significantly. Local settlements have reported the amount of people going missing while traveling, especially westward, has increased drastically and reports of super mutant attacks are becoming more common. Major Walsh has requested that all people traveling through the area should stick to large, well-armed groups in order to avoid being seen as an easy target. Additionally, Major Walsh has suggested using routes that go south of the Rocky Mountains in order to avoid Macklin's forces. 
In our final announcement, as if super mutants weren't enough, the coyotes have been coming out in full force these past few days. Packs of coyotes in the region have begun hunting in larger packs and have become a dangerous nuisance. Similar to the super mutants in this region, be sure to travel in large, well-armed groups and keep your eyes peeled while out and about. The one good thing about the coyotes is that they've kept the squirrel population in check. The squirrels may be about half the size of the coyotes out here, but according to the Dashwood Scouts, it appears that the coyotes outnumber the squirrels by three to one, giving the coyotes just enough of an edge to take care of the average squirrel. Do keep in mind, squirrels tend to carry brain rot, a disease that spreads through their saliva. If you get bitten by a squirrel, seek medical attention immediately. You'll recognize brain rot by its symptoms, which include fever, headache, nausea, drooling, vomiting, itching, aching, aggressive agitation, severe hunger, spontaneous brain dissolution, nasal congestion, and psychosis. If you begin experiencing any of these symptoms, report to the medical tent immediately. That's all for today's announcement, so let's go over to Bucket for this week's weather forecast. Alright Bucket, activate. Activating. Awaiting instructions. Ah, back to your normal voice, eh Bucket? Affirmative. Debugging successful. That's great. How are you feeling today, Bucket? Currently operating at... Optimal efficiency. Excellent, excellent. So, how about you tell us what kind of weather we have to look forward to this week? Acknowledged. Beginning weather forecast for the week of December 7th, 2287. Currently, the temperature is 39 degrees Fahrenheit, with a high of 42 degrees and a low of 34 degrees, 32% humidity. Overcast with light winds and 2 inches of snow estimated. Thursday, the temperature will have a high of 31 degrees with a low of 29 degrees, 33% humidity. Overcast with light winds and 1 foot of snow. Friday, the temperature will have a high of 28 degrees with a low of 28 degrees, 29% humidity. Overcast with light winds and 3 inches of snow. The estimated weekly radiation level is... Condition green. Stable levels of radiation expected throughout the week. Forecast complete. Performing diagnostics and printing satellite scans. Ugh, man. Looks even colder than last week. Hey, any advice on dealing with cold weather, Bucket? Processing request. Advice detected. Administering. Succumb to the cold embrace of death. Seek release from this mortal coil beneath the snow. Enter the void as a frozen corpse. Wear several layers of clothing. Uh, with the exception of the layers thing, maybe don't take that advice, dear listeners. Well, Bucket, that's all for now. Go ahead and go recharge. Acknowledged. Well, that forecast sounds awful. Remember to bundle up, keep those fires roaring, and change out of wet clothes. With the weather out of the way, let's move on to this week's local news. In today's local news, the Dashwoods have started encountering more super mutant resistance as they push west. Before, our scouts would find groups of maybe two or three, though recently they're finding groups upwards of ten. Luckily, the scouts led by Captain Holtz have been more than capable of taking these groups out with little effort and have managed to free some people captured by the super mutants in the process. 
When questioned about the resistance the scouts have encountered, Captain Holtz was quoted as saying, We're finding bigger camps these days. The snow leads us right to them with how packed down it is. They've definitely been searching further out and longer than we thought. The people we find are, for the most part, pretty beat up. Frostbite is pretty common, too. End quote. After releasing the survivors, the Dashwoods asked where they were from and learned that the majority of people captured by Macklin super mutants were scavengers, raiders, caravanners, wanderers, and other people who were out and about. The consensus going on at the camp is that the super mutants this far out are mostly opportunists, picking small groups of people off the road to haul back to wherever Macklin is exposing them to FEV. The Dashwoods have sent these survivors back along the supply lines to secure settlements to ensure that they're safe. A few have refused to go back east and have been allowed to go off on their own. The Dashwoods aren't about to fight with people who would rather risk it out on their own. Regardless, these cases are not isolated to the region. Some of the survivors coming in from out west or down south have also heard rumors of super mutants snatching people off the roads, with whole small settlements being reduced to ghost towns closer to the Rockies. Keep your eyes open and your guns loaded, dear listeners. Better safe than sorry. In our next piece of local news, a mudslide has wiped out the Highland Pass Caravan Trail. The trail running north to south from Nebraska into South Dakota, located near an old highway, was a popular and reliable trail frequented by travelers, especially caravans. Unfortunately, due to the mudslide, the Highland Pass has become unusable for the foreseeable future. Attempts to clear the debris by a team of locals and Dashwoods have failed to clear the pass and resulted in a few non-serious injuries. There are three known paths to avoid the Highland Pass when it's unavailable. The first is the most obvious, US-385. The path is already frequently traveled and is often targeted by raiders. As such, 385 can be pretty dangerous until reaching Rosebud Yankton Alliance territory, so long as you're not openly part of a raider clan or the Church of the Starving Earth. More on them later. Anyway, the second path is through the Black Hills National Forest. The Black Hills Forest isn't easy to navigate, but there are currently no raider groups operating out of the area, and the wildlife is sparse in the southern parts of the forest. That being said, moose men from Canada have been known to travel south seeking food during the winter, while their most common rivals, deathclaws, are hibernating. Moose men tend to be larger and more aggressive than deathclaws, despite being herbivores. If you don't have the firepower to deal with moose men, maybe avoid Black Hills Forest. The third and most dangerous route is the Black Traverse. Yes, THE Black Traverse. The old blacktop series of raised roads that stretches across a good chunk of the Midwest wastelands and branches off into several states, and has several settlements built on it. Sounds like a good path for those who don't know that the whole place is packed with outlaws. Traverse would be the fastest and safest way for travelers to reach any part of the Midwestern wastelands, if it weren't for the people who live on it attacking anyone not already belonging to one of the raider clans, bands of outlaws, or less than scrupulous settlements. While it isn't impossible to get on and through the Traverse unharmed, it won't be cheap or easy. Honestly, it may be best to just avoid the Black Traverse altogether. Hmm. Moving on. Finally, the Church of the Starving Earth has been found operating in the Nebraska area. For those unaware, the Church of the Starving Earth lives by the tenets of destroying everything left over from before the war and burying all evidence of humanity's existence. Literally burying it. While the Church believes in destroying all pre-war objects, they're not above using pre-war weapons and armor to achieve their goals. The Church also seems to be working towards the extinction of humanity as well, as every settlement they've managed to overwhelm has been reduced to rubble, and its residents killed and buried in mass graves. The reason I don't group the Church of the Starving Earth in with raiders is because, well, they don't raid. 
Their only goal is to destroy, and they've been known to wipe out settlements and raider camps alike. The Church of the Starving Earth pops up every few years to crusade through the area, and luckily haven't been seen more than a few dozen miles outside of Nebraska, and don't seem to be growing all that much. Considering how, uh, twisted their members physically appear, it's believed that wherever they're based out of, they use incest to increase their numbers. Yikes. If you happen to find a large group of people marching under a banner of a crudely drawn picture of the Earth broken into several parts, that's the Church of the Starving Earth, and they're more than willing to feed you to the planet. Make sure to avoid them at all costs. That's all for today's local news, so let's go over to Johnny for today's segment of Tech Tips. Hello everybody, and welcome to Tech Tips with Johnny Windsor. I'm Johnny, and I'm here to show you how to keep your technology functioning even when the world isn't. Trying out a slogan there, Johnny? I like it. Thanks. So, what have you got for us today, Johnny? Today, I'm going to teach our listeners how to weaponize plasma. Now, before we begin, I think it would be a good idea to explain what plasma is and how your standard plasma weapon functions. Plasma is a gas that has been heated to the point that it boils and forms into a liquid-like substance. Because of the extreme temperature of the plasma, it can cause serious, even fatal burns to most materials, including skin and steel. Because of this, it can be very dangerous to work with if the proper precautions aren't taken. Now, the average plasma weapon usually has two cartridges it draws from, the plasma cartridge and the catalyst, often a microfusion cell. Most plasma cartridges contain some mixture of argon, oxygen, nitrogen, or hydrogen. Plasma weapons draw the gases from the cartridge and into the chamber near the barrel. The chamber is a superconductor and causes the gases to heat up and form plasma. The plasma is then ejected using electromagnets within the barrel to propel it out of the gun and, ideally, towards your target. With that out of the way, there are other ways to weaponize plasma beyond the standard plasma caster method. One of my preferred methods is converting a plasma weapon into something akin to a flamethrower. We'll start with affixing a standard automatic barrel modification to our rifle before we begin. This method simply requires reducing the power being fed to the electromagnets in the barrel. To do so, we need to replace the resistors between the power source to the electromagnets with higher tolerance resistors in a series circuit. You can find these resistors in most military electronics. 10 mega ohms should suffice. Once you've connected the circuit, we'll need to attach a cap made of tungsten grating to the muzzle. Tungsten grating can be difficult to find, however, I found it most often in steel foundries as part of their slag filters. Wrap three layers of grating to the end of the barrel and use adjustable steel hose clamps to keep the grating in place. With the automatic barrel, the plasma should be pushed through the grating, spreading out into what looks like a fountain of green fire. Make sure to fire in small bursts, otherwise the rifle is liable to overheat. Another simple means of weaponizing plasma is the plasma grenade. While larger and heavier than your typical fragmentation grenade, it's generally the same concept. We take a superconductor chamber and connect it to at least three plasma cartridges and a microfusion cell. The superconductor chamber serves as the main body, so we just need to affix the wiring and sockets to the chamber. Wonder Glue works just fine. We'll also need a means of activating the chamber. I don't suggest using buttons or switches, since it's easy to accidentally arm the grenade. Instead, using a dial from a standard egg timer works best. There we go. 
that's easy enough for most people to arm the grenade and safer to store. That's all I have for today. This has been Tech Tips with Johnny. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Johnny? What's up? The grenade. Oh, right. Oh boy. Remember, always make sure to test your weapons in a safe area with no one around. Good advice. Thanks, Johnny. Well, let's go over to Shoban for this week's edition of Wasteland Health. Good afternoon, Shoban. <laughs> Is it? Isn't it? Uh, there's salt, sand, and mud everywhere! This shit... stuff keeps getting in my boots! Oh, I understand. That's winter for you. A nightmare of salt and sand. At least you're not dealing with it as a janitor. A what? Eh, never mind. What have you got for the dear listeners today? Right! Ahem! Welcome to... Wasteland Health! happy to be here either, but yeah, it's me. Alright. How'd you break your leg? I was out on a scouting mission when my foot got caught in a half-buried car window. I fell in. <laughs> Stop laughing. <laughs> no, I'm not laughing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> to start off, <clears throat> we need to find where the bone is broken. Uh, which leg is it? The left one. Left? All right. So. Uh, no, left. What? Uh, oh. <laughs> Shut up. Let's get rid of anything in the way. Don't worry about how much of their clothes you have to cut away to get to their injuries. Your life is more important than your clothes. There we go. Oh, yep. No guesswork needed here. How bad is it? Uh, I don't know how bad the bone is yet, but uh, that's a lot of swelling. Uh, you've definitely got a broken tibia. Nothing sticking through the skin. Close fracture. Oh, yeah, too easy. Uh, I'm gonna start feeling for the break. Uh-huh. Uh, all right. Tell me where it... Ow! Oh. Found it! <laughs> You're lucky. It's an incomplete fracture. An incomplete fracture means that the bone is cracked but hasn't separated. Because of that, 
I shouldn't have to open him up. In other cases, if the bone is sticking through the skin or is in multiple pieces while still inside the body, the patient will need surgery to get everything back where it belongs. What? Ah, uh, relax. I won't need to open you up. Not today, at least. Anyway, since this is a relatively simple bone fracture, we'll need to reduce the swelling before we can put the leg in a splint. Luckily for us, we've got plenty of ice. Make sure you wrap the ice in something before applying it to the patient's leg. Uh, a clean cloth or towel works just fine. Uh-huh. Jeez, that's cold. That's kind of the point. <clears throat> While we wait for the swelling to go down, if you don't have ice available, there are a few other methods you can use to reduce swelling. The easiest way of keeping the broken limb elevated is, in the case of a broken leg, to simply put something under the ankle while the patient is lying on their back. Another simpler method to reduce the swelling is with a stim pack. Depending on the severity of the break, it may heal the broken bone as well. Then why aren't you doing that? Because stim packs don't just grow on trees. If we go giving someone a stim pack for every little cut and bruise, we'll be out before we know it. My leg is broken. It's not like it's poking out of the skin. With the medicine I give you, after getting your splint on, oh, you'll be out of here by morning. Speaking of which, here, drink this. Is, is this whiskey? Oh, oh, the aftertaste. Did you mix medicine into whiskey? Uh, the other way around. Just enough to cover the taste. Before we did that, people kept throwing it back up. Uh, uh, listeners, don't mix alcohol with medicine. We're trained professionals and know what we're doing. Anyway, the swelling seems to be going down quite well. So, now it's time to put your leg in a splint. To put together a simple splint, you'll need something rigid and long enough to reach just past the joints above and below it. You can use wooden boards or poles or other similar junk. Keep in mind that you'll need two items of similar length. In this case, we've got pre-made splints made from wood and wrapped in cloth padding. If you're using something that might leave splinters, make sure to use more padding. Once you've got your splints prepared, put them on either side of the broken limb. When you've got them lined up, one on the left side of the break and one on the right, you'll need to tie them to the leg. You can use anything from rope to duct tape, so long as you don't stick it directly on the patient's skin. In this case, I have belts, 
which worked great since you can easily adjust the tightness. I'll place one on each end of the split and tighten them. Ah, uh, that's too tight. Hence the bell. How's that? That's still pretty tight. <sighs> that's the point. Make sure whatever you use to bind the splint is tight enough to keep the splint in place without cutting off circulation. When you add additional bindings, be sure not to put them directly over the broken bow. Check the limb every few minutes to make sure you haven't cut off blood circulation. You'll know you've cut off circulation if the limb starts to go pale, or bluish, or if it starts swelling again. Ah, there we go! That's how you put a broken limb in a splint. The process is still generally the same for arms, though you'll need to make a sling to rest the arm in. That's as simple as taking a loop of clean cloth long enough to rest the arm in while hanging it from the patient's neck. Additionally, if your patient has a bone sticking through the skin or has a complete fracture, meaning that the bone has broken into several pieces, the patient will almost certainly need surgery to set the bone properly. Don't try and set the bone yourself. You're more than likely to do more harm than good. Just apply pressure to stop any bleeding, keep the injury clean, and the limbs steady until you can get them to a proper doctor. Alright, that's all I have for today. This has been Wasteland Health with Siobhan. Watch out for buried cars. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Thanks, Siobhan. Well, listeners, it's time for us to make some technical adjustments before we get to our next segment. So until then, it's time for the music break. I'll be leaving you with Dinah Shore's All Walk Alone. I'll be back in a bit, dear listeners. hey Good work, you two. Shoban, didn't want to interrupt, but excellent slogan. You and Johnny caught on to this pretty quickly. Thank you. Sorry about that, uh, explosion earlier. I can't believe you'd be foolish enough to set off a plasma grenade in the middle of camp. Yeah, I definitely messed up there. I'm glad nobody got hurt. Oh, gotta admit, though, it did look pretty cool. Hello. Ah, Johnny's always been like that. Remember that time we were digging through that junkyard and you activated that rogue sentry bot? I had started its boot-up sequence without even thinking about it. You told me that the combat inhibitor wasn't working and that you just turned it on in the same breath. I was excited. Ah, <laughs> uh, you nerd! I can't say I'm too different. I remember I was messing around with Johnny's laser rifle once. Don't know how I did it, but that thing exploded a couple hours later. Wait, what? When was that? I want to say that was a few months after we started traveling together. I was keeping watch while he slept and got bored, so I just started fiddling with it. Are you being serious, Crispy? You're not messing around? Ah, no, I'm serious. Yeah, that was my bad. Sorry. I can't believe you would do that to me! How could you? Whoa, 
Johnny, I messed up, yeah, but... I made that laser rifle out of the arm Pendleton gave me. An arm he pulled off of his own body to save my life. Wait, who? I believe that was a robot Jonathan viewed as a father figure. Oh, shit. Hello. I'm sorry, Johnny, I didn't know. But if that wasn't enough, you lied about messing with it. To. My. Face. Wait, what? The next time I tried to fire it, the transformer for the microfusion cell short-circuited and overloaded the firing capacitor. The whole thing overheated and almost exploded before I could throw it away from myself. I almost died! And when I asked if you had messed with it, you lied! You made me think that I had done something wrong! Johnny! I can't believe you'd do that to me! You... you asshole! I've never seen him like this before. Have you? Hello. No. This is a first. Damn. Johnny, I'm... What else have you lied to me about? <coughs> Ghoul's Day. <coughs> Dude. You lied about Ghoul's Day? Well... What else? Snack trade law? Uh... Leg thieves? Y yeah. Deodorant? Actually, that one is absolutely true. But listen, Johnny... I'm sorry. I didn't know it meant that much to you. You know what? I don't believe you. Johnny. I don't want to hear it, Crispy. Johnny! Uh, just let him go. I, I'll talk to him. Thanks. Also, he's right. You are an asshole. I... I know. Johnny! Wait up! Well, well, well. Look whose house of cards has finally come crashing down. Yeah, yeah, rub it in. Ugh, I messed up. I'm surprised you said anything at all. I forgot that I lied about that. That's no surprise. I imagine you've lied so much, it's hard to remember all the falsities you've been peddling all this time. Right. Man, how am I going to fix this? It's likely too late. Jonathan will never forgive you. How the hell would you know? Hmm? Oh, just wishful thinking. You're an asshole, Atlas. That's empirically false. You are the rectal orifice in this situation. All these years of lying to that child has finally caught up to you. Now you must stew in your rectal leavings. First off, gross. Don't describe it like that. Second, yeah, you're right. I might have just lost the closest thing to family I've had in over 200 years. Yes, you very well may have. Hello. Ah, hell, it's almost time to get back on air. Are you mic'd up yet? I've been prepared since before you sabotaged your friendship with Jonathan. Great. Well, time to get back behind the mic. You're not going to use cums to get through this episode? Just shut up and get to whoever the hell you're going to interview. Welcome back to Wasteland Active Radio. You've just finished listening to The Great Pretender by The Platters. Great song. Great. Great song. Anyway, it's time for today's edition of On the Scene with Atlas. Atlas? Greetings, and welcome to On the Scene. I am your Grand Master of Ceremonies, Atlas. 
Today, I'm currently in the mess tent for the Daring Dashwoods Forward Operations Team, 19th Division, to interview the camp's cook. Please, introduce yourself. I'm, uh, Sergeant Dean Trasati. My crew and I handle the cooking around here. What can you tell me about the nutritional value of the meals you and your crew provide to the Dashwoods? Oh. Well, they say that an army moves on its belly, so my crew and I make sure that all the meals have everything a person needs to survive. We also specialize the meals we make based on the conditions our soldiers will need. Is that so? Yeah, we've been making lots of stew, spicy chili, meat pie, and other heavier and spicy foods. We burn roughly twice as many calories while trudging through the snow and dealing with the cold. My crew and I make sure that our troops stay well fed and get everything they need to survive out in the field. The more I eat your food, the less I want to survive. You want to run that by me again? Because I swear I just heard you insult my food. Your attempts to provide sufficient nutrition to the Dashwood mercenaries in this camp is admirable. I understand that you only have so many choices when it comes to ingredients. That being said, the quality of the food isn't the issue. The issue is the taste. The taste? The stew is incredibly bland. It's all gravy and texture. The chili is unrecognizable as chili, and the only discernible flavor is the searing heat of whatever you use to make it spicy. The only consistently pleasing meals your crew has served is the cured meat sandwiches. Though something that simple is difficult to ruin. Well, excuse the f*** out of me. I didn't realize we were serving the king of the f***ing wasteland here. If I'd have known, we would have made some bombing f***ing Wellington, your highness. Too sensitive to deal with a bit of criticism? Listen here, I don't know where you think you are, but this is a mercenary camp, not a restaurant. We're here to keep our people fed and healthy. Nutrition comes before flavor. When your food tastes like slop, and your stomach threatens to violently reject it, you completely negate the nutritional value of anything ingested. Boo f***ing who? You know, you're the only one here who complains about our food. Maybe you're just too picky if your dainty little tummy can't handle our food. And maybe if you and your crew knew how to properly use spices, aside from whatever battery acid you pour into your chili, we wouldn't need to dig a mile long latrine! Oh, f off. You wouldn't know good food if it walked up, pulled your pants down, and sucked your knobby ass. How foul! Just like your food! Then go out and get your own food, you ungrateful son of a Brahmin f***ing Atlas. Stop making him mad. I'm sweating over the sensor button here. <sighs> Fine, ghoul. Sergeant Tresardi, what are your views on the war? I don't give a shit. I'm being paid to keep my fellow Dashwoods well fed. It's my passion, and it's what I was trained to do. Could've fooled me. What was that? Two more questions. What's your opinion on General Roosevelt? Uh, I'm from Tennessee. Joined the Dashwoods after Roosevelt liberated my hometown. 
My parents hate me for it, but what Roosevelt did needed to be done. The world's a better place without proud company. That seems to be the consensus around the camp. Final question. Though I doubt your ability to read recipes, do you read often? And if so, what is your favorite piece of literature? Yeah, I read. My favorite book is How to Bury Ant to Insult Your Cooking. It's a good read. I highly doubt that's a real book. Oh, you want proof? Here, I got it in my pocket. Read it and we That's not a book. That's your middle finger. Oh, I see. You were being facetious. That's all the questions I have for you. Be gone, slop vendor. Get the f out of my mess tent before I throw you out. Huh. I'd like to see you try. I spent ten years working at the tracks. Throwing like you out is my specialty. Throwing people out is your specialty? Your cooking is clear evidence of that. That's it! <clears throat> that didn't hurt. What? Get out and... <clears throat> Don't come back! Private contractors. Hmm. He managed to throw me out. I can't help but be somewhat impressed. That's all for this edition of On the Scene. I have been your Grand Master of Ceremonies, Atlas. You're welcome. Back to you, ghoul. Jesus. Yeah, ah, uh, sorry, dear listeners. Still kind of reeling from that. That wasn't at all what I was expecting when Atlas said he was going to interview the camp's cook. I hope it was entertaining, at least. Before we move on to today's open table interview, I'd just like to say, don't insult the people who make your food. On top of being people with their own issues and troubles who may just be having a bad day, they also make your food. With that, thankfully, out of the way, I have a very special guest today. At this point, I'd be surprised if you'd never heard of her. She's the founder, owner, and operator of one of the biggest caravan companies in the Midwest. It's Dana Dawson. It's a pleasure to finally have you in the studio. The pleasure is all mine. After everything the Dashwoods have done for my company, I'll gladly give you an interview for your little show. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't exactly describe it as little, but regardless. How are you today, Miss Dawson? It's Mrs. Dawson, but you can call me Dana. I'm doing well today, though I'd be doing better if it wasn't so cold. Oof, tell me about it. And it's only going to get worse according to your weather report earlier. Thankfully, the Dawson Family Caravan has everything we need, and of course, everything you need to make it through the winter, and all at a reasonable price. Ah, always on that hustle, huh? No wonder you've got one of the biggest caravan companies in the wastes. Speaking of which, how do you get your start in the caravan business? Oh, it's not exactly an exciting story. My parents were simple merchants from the Capital Wasteland. When they retired, I took over the family business and started growing it. After two years, I had 20 caravans with my name on them and contracts from D.C. to Indiana. When I met my husband, we had contracts with settlements halfway across the country. And when our second son was born, we had just made our first contract with a settlement in the NCR. That's impressive, but, uh, 
You mentioned your son. Yes, Bert. Before you say anything, the Dashwoods have made me well aware of the predicament Bert is in. While I am concerned for his well-being, that vault he's locked inside of is probably the safest place he could be right now. Uh, good point. Either way, I'm still hoping that the Dashwoods can still get those folks out of there. On the subject of your son, my crew and I met Kurt at a store up in Little Drink. Oh, you met Kurt? I, I haven't spoken to him in a while. How's he doing? His store seems to be doing pretty well, despite his, uh... You don't have to mince words. I'm well aware that both Kurt and Bert aren't exactly the most intelligent people in the wasteland. However, I'm glad to hear that Kurt's store is doing well. His father would certainly be proud. Well, uh... So, mind if I ask about the rest of your family? Do they also work for you? Yes, of course. Kurt and Bert have their own stores, while my third son, Ross, and my youngest, Michaela, are back home working with our logistics department. Is that so? I'm not gonna lie, I was kind of expecting their names to rhyme too. <laughs> oh, yes. That'd be thanks to my late husband, Merton. When Ross was born, the only name he could think of that rhymed with Kurt or Bert was Dirt. And I wasn't about to let him name our child Dirt. So, I named him after my father. By the time Michaela was born, Merton had already passed. But we had already both agreed to name her after my late sister. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know about your husband. Or your sister, for that matter. <laughs> no need to apologize. My sister passed from an illness when we were both children. Merton passed almost 20 years ago now. Hmm. He died, defending our caravan from feral ghouls. Could you tell me more about your husband? Oh, Merton. We met when I hired him on as a guard for our flagship caravan. He was the sweetest kindest, most handsome man I'd ever met, and so strong. However, he was... Well, I'll come right out and say it. He was dumb as a sack of rocks. Now you know where Kurt and Bert get it from. He didn't have the best grip on language, but he spoke through his actions. To those who wanted to hurt us, he was an unbreakable, unmoving wall of stone. To those he cared about, he was so gentle and open, unafraid to show his emotions, and so good with our kids. Sounds like a good man. Oh, he was. Even after what he'd been through in that vault. Vault? He was a vault dweller. From what he described, the people in the vault were broken into two groups. One group of intelligent individuals who ran the vault and a group of laborers who were punished when showing levels of intelligence above a certain level. According to Merton, his group rebelled and escaped the vault. From there, Merton made a living as a caravan guard. Once he learned how money worked and how to speak well enough to get people to hire him, that is. Yeah, those vaults were pretty twisted. You know, a friend of mine's from a vault. He was the only human there and he was raised by robots. Sounds lonely. To us, sure, but those robots were his family. I suppose you're right. We don't always get to choose our family. Do you have any more questions? Uh, y yeah, sorry. 
So you've been contracting with the Dashwoods even before Station Hill. How did that start? Oh, I think it was a few years after they started sponsoring settlements. I had stopped into one such settlement in Georgia. General Taft, may he rest in peace, had stopped in to resupply and bought from my caravan. He and I chatted for a bit and he made quite an impression on me. I admired his conviction and the efficiency of the Dashwoods. By the end of the conversation, I knew I had to find someone to find some way to get in on their action. From then on, I made contracts at every Dashwood outpost and most of their sponsored settlements. Oh, that's impressive. You really believe in their cause, don't you? Of course. They've made the trail safer and keep the peace. When people feel more secure, they're more willing to buy from us. Following the Dashwoods has been incredibly profitable. <laughs> A businesswoman to the very end. <laughs> well, Dana, I have one last question for you. What are your thoughts on the war? I've dealt with the super mutants from coast to coast. And while they haven't hurt my employees as often as raiders, some mad mutant building an army to try and conquer the wasteland? It can't go unanswered. The Dashwoods are, in my opinion, the best group to take down this army and help to rebuild afterward. Also, this whole endeavor has been great for business. <sighs> I don't know what I was expecting, but we're all glad to have you on board, Dana. Your company has been good to us and we're happy to continue working with you. Thanks for agreeing to this interview. It's my pleasure. My employees seem to like this show of yours, so I'm glad to see it's being broadcast again. Hey, thanks. Of course. Do you need anything else? Nope, that's all I've got for you. Thanks again. Anytime. Have a wonderful day. You too. Well, dear listeners, that was a great interview. But now that it's over, we all know what time it is. Before I close things down for the night, I just want to say thank you all for continuing to listen to us. Your support is what makes it all worth it, dear listeners. As the seasons get colder and the world looks darker, we're happy if we can be that warm light that keeps you from getting lost in it all. As we wind down, let's remember those people we keep in our lives that make things better just by being in it. Whether they be family or friends or, hey, even a pet. Take a moment to let them know just how much you appreciate them. You never know when you might part ways. Remember, dear listeners, that a measure of strength is admitting when you're wrong, owning up to your mistakes, and fixing what you can. So don't be worried about being wrong. Be worried about being wrong and never owning up to it. As always, this has been Wasteland Active Radio. Crispy, signing off. Wasteland Active Radio was created, written, and produced by Z. Hagen and Jay Wilson. Brought to you by the record button. The roles of Crispy, Bucket, Private Miller, and Sergeant Trasardi are played by Mr. Wilson. The roles of Atlas and Dave are played by Mr. Hagen. The role of Johnny is played by B. Sewick. And the role of Chauvin is played by Britt Eggestall. Britt and their partner Mel both run another channel called Milbert Productions, home to all your nerdy and geeky entertainment needs. Special thanks to our guest, 
Danielle Baylor as Dana Dawson. Follow her on Twitter at Danielle.vo. That's dot spelled out, dear listeners. Wasteland Active Radio is set in the Fallout video game universe, owned by ZeniMax Media and Bethesda Softworks. No copyright infringement is intended. Please support the official release. Thank you for listening, and thank you for supporting the Daring Dashwood Mercenary Company! Hello. Johnny? Damn it, I was hoping he'd be in here. Huh? Um, oh, I, I haven't seen him since the break. Ah. <sighs> Change the subject. Atlas, what the hell was that? The food here is terrible. He deserves to know. And now you're stuck eating nothing but MREs. I hadn't considered that. No matter. I shall persevere nonetheless. Oh. What a shame. Hey. Oh. Johnny, wait. Don't follow me. Don't pursue him. You look pathetic. I must admit, this is the most emotion I've seen from Jonathan. You've truly wounded his trust. Yeah, I'm well aware of how much of a piece of shit I was to him. I just... I need to figure out how to make it up to him. You could always have yourself flayed alive in front of him. Self-flagellation has historically been used as a means of expressing one's own guilty conscience. I don't think he's going to go for that. You don't... I don't suppose you could. Uh, find another part of that robot? The vault Johnny is from is all the way back in the Ash Flats. Even if we were there, I doubt I'd be able to figure out which one was Pendleton. Yeah, I guess. You know, that might be kind of like grave robbing. Or whatever. Uh, good point. What are you reading? Huh? Hmm? Uh, medical journal about treating gastrointestinal damage. Uh, puncture colon, intestines, you know, all that cool stuff. Uh, sure. Cool. Doesn't help me figure out how to make up with Johnny, though. Perhaps this is the end of your friendship with Jonathan. You've been lying to him for years now. Regardless of the severity of the lies you've been telling him, the damage is done. Maybe it's time to let go. Wait, what? No! Hell no! Listen! Johnny is pissed! And for good reason! That doesn't mean he should give up on trying to make it up to him! Look, Crispy, you've already apologized. Give Johnny some time to cool down and use that time to try and figure out how to make it up to him. Huh. And to think, you were raised by raiders. Perhaps you're more civilized than you look. Get shunted, assless. Whatever you figure out, from here on, You need to be more honest with him. He grew up in a vault around nothing but robots. And you took advantage of him, not knowing.
Yeah. Total dick move. Give Johnny some space. That's what he needs right now. At least according to the psychology books I read in the vault. Hmm. Uh, speaking of books... You're probably right. Also, no offense, but that was a level of emotional intelligence I'd never expect from someone raised in a vault full of raiders. intestines and Uh, go fuck yourself. Uh, maybe later. Well, what about you, Dave? What do you think? Hmm. Hello. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello. Hello, 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 hello. Hello, hello. 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 Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. Hello, 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 hello. Hello. Hello, 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 hello. Hello. Hello? That... That was magnificent, Dave. I didn't understand what you meant at all, but your charades, it was like an interpretive dance. Huh? Okay, I admit, that was pretty impressive. (laughs) I've never seen anything so beautiful. (laughs) Uh... Hello?